Take your Bibles, if you would, please. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians as we continue our study of this most critical book in Paul's arsenal of revelatory truth that is reflected in many ways even in the worship that we've offered to our Savior today. You know, sometimes uh, we fail to connect, we fail to plan, and we, we fail to, to point everything in a worship service to the same thing. But intentionally, we try and do that here at First Baptist. And even the songs that we sang today are depicted and captured in their essence in the book of Galatians, particularly the verses that we'll look at today and the, and the introductory verses. And I hope that you know and understand today that, that the truth of Galatians and the truth of the songs that we sing and, and the greatest truth and the sufficiency of Christ and his gospel is that it, it answers everything. It soothes us when our hearts are troubled. It assures us when our minds are filled with doubt. I know that's none of you, right? It challenges us when we tend to wander and look to other things to fill a need that only God can fill through Jesus Christ. And it grounds us. And the world can take everything that we have, but they can't take our salvation that is secured in Jesus Christ. From birth to death, the gospel changes everything. But we're mere mortals. It's easy to lose the grip on those essential truths. It's not that we deny them. We just at times look beyond them thinking there must be something more. There is nothing more. Jesus has done everything, everything, everything from eternity to eternity and we can say, maybe you've heard this before, as God's people, everything's going to be okay. May you be blessed with that notion this morning as we study the book of Galatians. Pray with me, please. Father, I pray, as always, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to open our ears, to engage our minds, and to change our lives through the Scripture that leads us all the way home to the time in which we see you and become like you, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I pray that we would be a people that not only champions that message, but lives that out in the evil days in which we reside. That we would understand the greatest need in the world today and the lives of people everywhere is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel as we know it. For heaven and earth shall pass away but the word is always relevant. And it is that word that, that we find the gospel in its simplicity and the gospel in all of its complexity. And as we embark on this study to, to look deep, 
It should remind us of the simple truths of the gospel and as we grow in grace and in knowledge, the greater truths of the gospel that result in our worship being changed in a way that is not humanly possible as we stop to consider the goodness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Remind us of those things. And everything that we do this morning, may it be to your praise and your honor and glory as we have sung, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Before we jump into the text, and I hope you've found your way to Galatians, that's where we're going to start this morning. I just again want to remind you and encourage you to get involved and engaged in this family ministries forum, particularly if you have children or, or, or even grandchildren involved in our ministries, uh, particularly our children and youth ministries, but, e- but even here, it's an important time, beginning at 11 o'clock and then through lunch, and a session afterwards. Please uh, consider getting involved and engaged in, in, in that family ministries forum this morning. Again, in your Bibles, we read in Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to go back to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all of the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or a slave of Christ. Paul transitions in chapter 1 to those introductory verses that we looked at last week directly into when he jumps headfirst into the deep end on this notion of another gospel. And we'll remind you yet again today of the words of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, where he charges those gathered to hear, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it a few. As we reflect back on the historic Reformation and a return to the Scriptures and a clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are reminded by Martin Luther himself in his commentary on this book of Galatians 
that as soon as there's a course correction and the church sees its way to true truth, there's heresy. And as soon as one heresy dies, Luther writes, not much later, another one springs up. For the devil neither slumbers nor sleeps. We see this throughout the course of church history with many of the the doctrinal aberrations and heresies, Sabellianism and Docetism and Arianism and all of those things that the church had to address from a biblical standpoint and say, that's wrong, or say, that's almost right, but it's not right. And God calls men, some pastors and teachers, to address these matters, to, to shake the foundation to remind us of the things that matter most, and Paul assumes that role in the land of Galatia where he has spent considerable time, perhaps even two separate missionary endeavors there to preach this gospel and get it right. So Paul finds himself, after preaching that gospel in a very short time, the people falling away from that gospel and falling prey to another gospel. And Paul says that that can't be. We mentioned Martin Luther saying heresy after heresy is what the church needs to address, reminding us that the devil doesn't slumber or sleep. And we are reminded today in contemporary culture, let's even shrink that to the so-called evangelical movement that Satan is alive and well. And there's an undermining of the gospel and a transformation of the gospel that is turning this about us when it has always and only been about Jesus Christ. And as we wrestle with these things, and Paul wrestles with these things, Martin Luther wrestled with these things. Many of you know that in 1517, as he tacked these 95 theses on the doors of the Wittenberg Castle, he was challenging the status quo he was searching the scriptures and saying, wait a second, we have to have a talk. And as that reformation began to take shape and, and as they began to reform the church, get the church back to where it once was, if you would, the powers that be, beyond Satan himself, but those earthly powers of that unified church that had lost its way, came hunting for Martin Luther, pronounced judgment upon Martin Luther. They threatened him with his life, and he left Wittenberg where much of that Reformation took place, and he took shelter in the uh, Wartburg Castle, kind of isolated and, and, and getting out of the middle of the fire, if you would. And as soon as Martin Luther left Wittenberg, to hide away only for a year in 2021, in came the heresy. This huge figure leaves, there's a void, and some of the leaders in the church at Wittenberg began to listen to these. They were called the Zwickau prophets. Maybe you've not heard of them before. But these Zwickau prophets, immediately in the absence of Martin Luther, began to distort and to change and to undermine the very thing that Luther was pleading for, a reformation of church doctrine. 
Now, these Zwicka prophets were equal opportunity charlatans who went after the Holy Catholic Church in Rome, but also this Protestant movement that began in 1517. And the way they attacked it was this way. They drove a wedge of division between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. This is where heresy begins. So these Zwicka prophets began to teach that they had this special word from the Lord in addition to the Scripture that they wanted to bring to the church. One of the foundational tenets of the Reformation was sola scriptura. No, if we're going to get this right, it has to be about the church. But no, these Zwicka prophets came in and said, God has told us something new and different. And we'll remind you of what we said last week. If someone thinks he or she has discovered a new doctrine after 2,000 years of church history, you can be quite certain they are mistaken. That was these Wicca prophets. You see, when someone has a vision, when someone says, the Spirit led me or told me, you need to assess that. You need to discern the spirits. Paul calls us to do that. But how do you discern a feeling? How do you discern an emotion? How do you discern this notion that God told me? If you can't hold it up against the mirror of Scripture, you can't. You can't. You can't call that into judgment. We live in a culture like that today. When we deal with the transsexualism and all of the confusions today, well, Today I feel like a man. Yesterday I felt like a woman. How do you even deal with that? Other than declare that's just lunacy. Doesn't matter what you feel. It is bigger than that. It is about truth and eternal truth that never changes. So as soon as Luther departs from Wittenberg, uh, just a few short years after that, to hide for a year, these guys come in and they begin to turn things on their head. Instead of taking their direction from the inspiration of Scripture, they claimed that the Spirit spoke to them and they were immune from criticism. But that is subjective and mystical and holds no authority. Scripture is the norming norm and the ruling rule. Now, we talked about that in our ABF. We're going to continue to do that. My ABF is more like a Bible class if you want to come and, and kind of dig and mine for, for, for some other things. The norming norm. How do we know what is normal in the church of Jesus Christ? Read the book. Well, I'm praying that the Spirit would show me something. Then read it out loud, and He will take that Scripture, and He will teach you the truth. It is the norming norm. How do we assess the movements in the church if they're merely subjective? You can't, but we have an objective truth, an inspired, infallible Word of God, and that's what we go to, to define what's right and what's almost right. It is the ruling rule. Sola Scriptura is the final standard of authority for doctrine and truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was what the Reformation was all about. So Luther comes back to town in 
15, 20, 22, and has to deal with all of this in spite of all that he had been through. But Luther wasn't alone. Although much of his Reformation theology was based on on the letter to the Romans, he said, Galatians is my Katerina. Katerina was his beloved wife. Galatians has stolen my heart. Galatians has grounded my soul. Galatians has made it very clear in the midst of all these pressures that I'm experiencing that there is only one gospel, one gospel. So as we read down through the first four verses, he reminds us that that gospel is in grace, and that gospel brings about peace that comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does that grace and peace appear to us? God gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. And then he breaks into this doxology, to whom be glory forever, amen and amen. That's why we sang some of the songs that we sang this morning. When you get the gospel right, it changes how you worship. When you get the gospel right, you look beyond the music And you look beyond that music to look at the words, and those words are affirming the glory of God and the message of salvation, and it reminds us that we have done nothing, 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 and Jesus did everything, 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 and that that can't help your worship, I don't know what to do for you. But if you want your worship to be glorious, worship that affirms the message of the gospel, you must see Christ for who He is. You must see yourself for who you are, dead in trespasses and sin, but through Christ, alive unto God through Jesus Christ. And that causes us to say glory forever and forever. Amen. And then he transitions from the salutation to the body of the letter. Now, normally in Paul's letters, he's going to... take a few verses to refresh the memory of those that he ministered to and whomever he is writing and offer a word of thanks or thanksgiving for them before he addresses any issue. Galatians stands out and separate from most of those other epistles in that he offers no word of thanks. He jumps right into the heart of things and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He lays out his thesis in the first three verses, excuse me, in verses three through five, and then he says, but that's not the gospel that you're preaching, and I am astonished how quickly this has happened. That is the path of heresy, isn't it? It happens so quick, and it's so subtle, and it's so fast, and eventually people are led astray. The very essence of Galatians, the very essence of the Reformation, the very essence of biblical Christianity today is a call to the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. R.C. reminds us of the great evangelical doctrine of justification by saying, 
Does saving faith require a trust in the righteousness of Christ alone as the grounds of our salvation? And Paul says yes, and the Reformation says yes, and unless you're waiting to the end for the conclusion, let's just cut to the chase. Pastor Jim says yes, it is in Christ alone. Or may a person have a different view of the gospel and still be a Christian? Paul says of those who are preaching this other gospel that they are false brothers. They're not a part of us. Their faith isn't genuine. Now here's the interesting thing. They they weren't denying that Jesus died for the sins of man. They weren't denying that he was buried. They weren't denying that he raised again from the grave. They weren't denying outright the gospel that Paul presented. They were adding to it by saying, not only do you need Christ, you need the law. You need to be circumcised, and and you need to go back and and do all of those things required of, uh, of, of the Old Testament saints. And they were adding something. Well, let's be very particular. When you add something, you've changed something. That's exactly what was happening. On the outside, we wouldn't look at these people as being absolutely apostates and heretics who have just blown up the gospel. No, they gave assent to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the heart of their message was this, but that's just not enough. Let me ask you a question. If that's not enough, where else can you look? My own experience? Not with a few years under your belt, because you look in the mirror and you say, what a wretched person I am. I can't do this. You look at the Old Testament law and you say, I could never keep all of that. James says, if you're guilty of one point, even though you keep everything else, if you're guilty of one point, you're guilty of the whole law. And you say, well, well, that's not going to work either. And yet they were taking him down a path to believe something beyond the gospel when the gospel is in Christ alone through the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only place to peace, to break that enmity between you and God as you are a sinner is through Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, verse 4, to deliver us from this present evil age. And God did it because that's what he wanted. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus, Paul says to the Philippians, concerning you. So as Paul unpacks the gospel in this this book of Galatians, he is confronting some of the very things that have been confronted throughout the age of the church history and answering one of the most important questions of all. How can a person stand before a holy God and not be condemned? And Paul succinctly says in the opening verses, through the gospel of Jesus Christ alone, to whom be glory forever and forever and forever. Amen. And then he says to some of the recipients of this letter, that's not all of you. That's not all of you. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I want to go back 
we'll spend a fair amount of time, and you're going to have to come back next week as we finish this, this section of, of six, six, four, four or five verses. But I want to spend some time because we, we quickly introduced some topics to you last week, uh, but I want to make sure that you get them and understand them well. As you go back to verse 4 of chapter 1, we read that this gospel of grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is in essence about the Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. When we talk about this, this notion of penal substitution, we are talking about this reality in Scripture and a view of the atonement that Christ's death is a sacrifice offered in payment for the penalty of our sins. And that payment in full is accepted by God the Father as a satisfaction in place of the penalty due to believers in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter again writes about this same gospel in verses or chapter 2, verse, verse 21. For this, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Listen to this, verse 24, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. That's where we say glory forever and forever. Amen. In this penal substitution or the substitutionary atonement of Christ for the sins of mankind, every human being from Adam on deserves death. Every human being born in sin after Adam were held accountable to a holy and righteous God, and that accountability demanded a due penalty for their sinfulness, not just that which was inherited, but their sins in their life as well. But penal substitution in the Scripture says, instead of God holding you accountable, here's the good news, the gospel. Jesus took your penalty upon himself, and he paid the price in full and God the Father was satisfied with that penal substitution. Paul says, if God was satisfied, why are you still trying? Why is this new gospel trying to point you back to the law that there's something else you need to do? This was all satisfied and in Christ, there's nothing more. This is done. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. 
It's finished. It's a work that is done. You want to have the security of salvation that comes in Jesus Christ? You need to reconcile with this notion of penal substitution. I am not eternally secure because I'm a good guy. I'm eternally secure because Jesus Christ paid my penalty in full. And God looks upon me and sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And to add anything to that takes away from that. And that's what was happening in Galatians. As MacArthur and Mayhew in their large volume biblical doctrine speak of, this satisfaction is called propitiation. It's an idea that Christ's atonement satisfies the wrath of God once and for all in Jesus Christ. It's done. I came to know Christ as a Savior in a church that taught once I came to Christ, I could depart from Christ and I could never really be sure. In those early years, you went through this period of wondering, did I do something that's going to keep me out? Is something I've forgotten here? Am I going to make it? It's because we were looking at something other than Christ. You know why I'm going to make it? Because Jesus says so. And God says, I am satisfied. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul looks in the mirror, says, O wretched man, who shall deliver me? I thank God, past tense and forever, Jesus Christ, my Lord. He took care of that penalty. Are you thankful for that? These false teachers were trying to say, that's not enough. And if that's not enough, you're in big trouble today. Because if Paul couldn't do it, you don't have a chance. But Jesus did. And God was satisfied. A number of years ago, a movement in evangelicalism called the Emergent Church burst on the scene. Stephen Chalky wrote a text, The Lost Message of Jesus. He didn't deny that Jesus died. He didn't deny that he was buried. He didn't deny that he was resurrected. But he called penal substitution cosmic child abuse. God would never do that. Then you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Because you can't do that. You're not capable of doing that. You will never do that. God did that. Thereby, I know this is hard for some of you, I heard it the first message. When I got back, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that you do for your salvation. Christ has done it all. So stop adding. Stop adding. You say, well, Pastor Jim, isn't there something that comes after the Christian life? Okay, we can live with that. Paul deals with it in this text. But for salvation alone, there is only one gospel, and it is in Christ alone. He died in your place. He took your penalty, and God is satisfied, and we stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the promise, so shall you ever be with the Lord. That is the gospel. That's what he speaks of. That's what he teaches and this text, it involves, and we introduce this, this notion to you, a, a process of double imputation. It sounds 
alarming and it sounds overwhelming, it's really not. To be justified is a forensic notion that simply says you have been declared righteous, but double imputation in keeping with penal substitution says that Christ took our sins and bore those on the cross and he paid that debt in full. And then legally, Christ took his righteousness when we were unrighteous, and he moved that into our account. You say, well, how can I be righteous if I still have sin? This is a legal term. It is a forensic term. It is a standing term, and thereby in the Reformation Simul justice et peccator. Because of what Jesus Christ did, I am simultaneously righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ, and nothing shall separate me from the love of God. But I look in the mirror, and I'm still sinful. So if indeed that's true, how can you do something more? You can't. But that's what these men, these false prophets the churches of Galatia were trying to do. They were trying to add. The Bible makes it very clear that God reconciled us in Jesus Christ by taking our sin and giving us His righteousness and securing our salvation in Christ alone, restoring us to a right position and standing in Christ. So are you saying then, Pastor Jim, that I can be a Christian and have no responsibility? I can live life any way I want? Paul addresses that in Romans 6. I love how he says it. God forbid. What are you, what are you talking about? We'll get to that. But let's be perfectly clear. When you add to the gospel, you change the gospel. And there's only one gospel, so the gospel you're preaching is another gospel. And for those who listen and hear that other gospel and heed to that other gospel, they're still dead in their trespasses and sin. Part of this notion of adding to the gospel is directly tied to our lack of understanding of the ugliness of our sin and a lack of understanding of the holiness of God and the glory of our King. For those of you who would like to search out that, there's a very accessible yet deeply theological book by one of my favorites, R.C. Sproul, on the holiness of God. (laughs) And he compares the glory and the grandeur of our King with the ugly reality of our lives. And he calls us to a place to see ourselves as we really are, and then and only then do we gain a deep appreciation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or as he says, our understanding of the being and character of God is so thin and so superficial that we, even in our most sanctified state, have almost no understanding of who God is in his majesty and in his being. 
and we don't really understand who we are until we first understand who He is. His demand was absolute perfection and holiness, and you couldn't do that. So in stepped the Savior and bore your penalty on the cross of Calvary, clothing you in the righteousness of Christ. R.C. was asked in a question and answer towards the end of his life. He was on oxygen at that time. What is the most important message that you're trying to communicate to a lost and dying world? You know what he said? The holiness of God. And they said, okay, well, what is the most important message that you're trying to pass on to Christ's church? And you know what he said? The holiness of God. Part of the issue is you you don't see him for who he is. You don't see him for who he is. It's because you don't see yourself for who you are, dead and trespasses and sin and rotten to the core. But God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, to redeem those who were under condemnation. Christ did that. And you'll never appreciate the gospel until you appreciate how broken you truly were. So as Paul writes to the churches of Galatia and challenges those who are preaching another gospel, he says in chapter 5, verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, and I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. There's some strong language there. What in the world is he talking about? Paul says, for those of you who are truly saved in Christ alone, by faith alone, in grace alone, to the glory of God alone, you'll see through this ruse. You'll see how wrong this is. For those who are preaching it and those who fall prey to it, we're still dead in your trespasses and sin. It's another gospel, and there is no other gospel. Listen carefully. For some of you who might think, well, am I really saved? Listen carefully. I am not trying to cause doubt in your salvation I'm trying to bring comfort to your soul. And if your salvation is in Christ alone, you're going to be okay. But if you put your faith in anything else, you're not. Fundamentalism, it was all those add-ons. For those Wiccal prophets, it was hearing the voice of God. It goes on and on and on. Is Jesus enough or isn't he? Paul says he's enough. And when he's not enough, that's not the gospel. And I am confident that those of you who know him will stay on course. Oh, by the way, you can do nothing but stay on course. Because the moment you accept it in Christ alone, you got the Holy Spirit of God, a stamp of ownership that secures you to the day of eternity. And no one shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No one will pluck you from the Father's hands. But what about just stop that nonsense? You want to find security? It's in Christ alone. That's what Paul's teaching. He's he's hammering away at, at this reality and this truth. And yet, 
we're well aware that heresy is everywhere. Heresy is simply a dissent or a deviation from church dogma. Again, these people were not denying the death of Christ or the burial of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. They were simply saying there was something more to it, and that is heresy. But even worse, to preach that gospel is an apostasy. Because to fall away from these basic, clear, perspicuous clarity doctrines of Christ and salvation leaves you with something that is not Christian at all. Call it the fundamentals of the faith. For those who deny the deity of Christ cannot know him as Savior. For those who deny the virgin birth cannot know him as Savior. Those who deny the veracity and truth of Scripture cannot know Him as Savior because that's how we know Him as Savior is through, through the Word. Those who deny the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot know Him. Those are the fundamentals of the faith. They're un, unmovable, unshakable. We have to. And when we deviate from those, even by adding something that is almost harmless, it is a gospel that can't save you. And there are heresies and apostasies that abound in our culture today. Soren Kierkegaard, famous 19th century philosopher, said, For it has never yet been known to fail that one fool, when he goes astray, takes several others with him. That's what Paul's writing in Galatians. I'm astonished. What, what are you thinking? Some like to clean up this passage of Scripture because Christians are supposed to be nice, right? He's not, he's not indignant. You betcha he's indignant. Paul took offense at those who thought they could be saved through their works. Why? Read Philippians. He did everything humanly possible and realized it wasn't enough. Paul is talking about his own life here, and he's astonished after hearing that testimony that people still turn to another gospel. Here's what this series is all about, a call for discernments. There is right, and there is almost right, and almost right is wrong. That's what Paul says to the Galatians. There's this gospel, and there's all those other gospels, and there's only one gospel that saves. What is that gospel, Paul? In Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, to whom be glory forever and forever and forever. And God's people said, amen. That's the gospel. That's what changes everything. So why am I struggling in my Christian life? That's a whole other matter. We'll talk about that. But you can be struggling day by day and still have the confidence that if I were to die today, I will be ushered into the presence of my king if you believe that he did this and you did nothing, nothing, nothing. And by the will of God in Christ Jesus, for whatever reason... He opened your eyes, and He showered you with grace, and you gave you the peace of God that passes understanding. That is a glorious, glorious gospel, a gospel that we must cling to and hold to, because even in churches like ours, there's a squishiness when it comes to the gospel. Oh, God loves you. He just wants to give you your… Stop it! 
God says, you're dead in your trespasses and sin, but here's the good news. You can become alive unto God only through Jesus Christ. That's Galatians. Discernment means to distinguish and to separate and to diligently search and examine, to know what is right. The writer of Hebrews tells us where that discernment comes from, for the Word of God is sharp. living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Paul says, there's not another gospel, verse 7. There's some who've come in stirred up your mind and made you nervous and got you to believe that there needed to be something more. He says in the text, let them be accursed. Let, let them be damned to hell. Were they damned to hell for preaching another gospel? No. They were damned to hell in believing a gospel that wasn't the gospel. It was another gospel. Paul Throughout the six chapters in Galatians, we'll expound upon that reality. And the very reason that the Reformation was founded on sola scriptura is that you can talk about your feelings and you can tell me about your experience and you can tell me about what happened, but can you tell me about the gospel from the scripture that assures you that everything is going to be okay. The norming norm and the ruling rule is the Word of God. How do I know I'm saved? Because He said so through the will of God and the Father, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Well, how do I know? Through Scripture alone. And that was, in essence, the call of the Reformation. It's also a phrase in the Reformation. talked about constantly reforming. Even these great leaders of the faith said, we, we got to deal with this over and over and over again, because <laughs> sometimes it's going to get squishy, and we're going to get it all wrong. We got to call them back to the gospel. The Reformation never over. For us, our intent is to introduce you to the one gospel that will set you free and remind you of the promise of the King. When the truth sets you free, You'll be free indeed, you know, this morning, what a glorious gospel. Thank you, Father, for the reminders and the boldness. The Apostle Paul and those who have gone before us, who have held the line, calling out another gospel and holding to the truth that sets us free. May we be free indeed. And there's a simplicity in the gospel Paul speaks up in 1 Corinthians 15. And yet there's a complexity. Paul unpacks in the context of Galatians and throughout the New Testament. We must see ourselves in all of the ugliness of our sin. We must see you in your glory. 
And we must believe that the gospel is in Christ alone. And we could do nothing, nothing, nothing. Let it resound in praise to the glory of our King forever and forever, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join us? We're going to close our service out by singing, Is He Worthy?